Broadcasting live from beautiful, sexy, steamy Studio City, California. It is the Knapsack Files. I'm Ken Knapsack with another edition, the eighth edition of the Knapsack Files. And with me is one of my, uh, well, I say it every episode, one of my favorite people. <laughs> I'm not going to bring my enemies on yet. We will do that. Into the studio this week is Mike Beatrice. Woohoo! How you doing? Ken, I'm good. Very glad yeah? to be here. Yes. I'm a little disappointed, though. You did not show up with a turtleneck. And I was going to hope to get into that trademark of yours. Right. Well, it is steamy and sexy and hot here in the valley today. So uh, I have my summer version of the turtleneck, yeah. which is the waffle knit. <laughs> it's like a turtleneck minus the, the turtleneck. Is that, a, is that a Marshall's purchase or a Ross purchase? No, man. That? I, I took my lead from you. I'm doing my clothes shopping at Target now. Isn't that the place? Yeah. They're not a paid sponsor of the Knapsack Files. They are not. But I will tell you, Target has come be. a long way. They have. The same, like, I wouldn't buy all my furniture at Ikea, but yeah. accessories and fill-in stuff, Ikea. I'm not going to buy all my clothes at Target, but if you need, like, an extra waffle knit yeah. or something, Target. I go for diet green tea, some Crystal Light mix, and, like, a sweater. <laughs> That's what I do. For a second, I honest to God thought you meant, like, a diet green t-shirt. And I'm like, what the heck is <laughs> What the? Or I go get some. Uh, I go get my. I go get my Star Wars Legos and then pick up a T-shirt. Yeah. I bought a. Uh, uh, we've already gone off on a tangent, haven't we? Oh, I love this. Though. I bought a uh, a casual, like uh, unstructured blazer, uh, which you have seen right. the pinstripe blazer. Yes, I bought that at Target. I sound like a commercial because I am wearing it, and <laughs> everywhere I go, people are like, "Oh man, that's a cool jacket. Where'd you get that?" And yeah, you know, I try and blow them off. But. Do you feel um, sub uh, subconscious, self conscious? Is the word I'm looking for? Do you feel self conscious when you enter Target wearing something you purchased oh, at Target? Yeah, I've taken things off and <laughs> left them in the car because I don't want to feel like the the guy that shops at Target. Yeah, and I'm also worried about uh, loss prevention. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Asset protection. Watch that guy. Like, he, I, bad he, enough. I paid for this at Target. I'm he, not paying for it twice. He's got a Converse All Star shirt on. <laughs> he's going to the Converse All Star shirts. I have that 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 brand. I think it's I think it's called the Converse All Stars. Mm -hmm. I have like six of the same color and the same same model, so to speak, of shirt. Okay. So I'll go in sometimes and be like, oh, I need the green one. I'm wearing the maroon one. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't do this now. They uh, they've got their house brand Morona. Yeah. Uh, which is great because it doesn't say Target on the label. Yes. Um, it's like uh, Target's alias. But then it gets confused easily with the brand, uh, what is it, Massimo? Yes. Massimo? Yes. Which is a real brand. Yes, a solid real brand. Yeah. Morona brand. I want to buy a Morona suit because <laughs> I don't think anyone will know. No, they won't. <laughs> Unless suits get to a suit certain level of money, you really can't tell the difference. Exactly. Like that's a $5,000 shirt shoot, suit, but that could be a Morona uh -huh. or it could be a men's warehouse. Uh, Mike Beatrice, you are from. Let me let me get this on record to sure. clarify. You are from the Massachusetts area. I am from Boston. Okay. I was born in Boston. In Boston. And then, uh, but my family lived north of Boston in a town called Swampscott. Swampscott. Yes, named for the Indian Musqueamscut. Okay. I, I was going to wonder if it had any ties to some kind of uh, 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 military sortie during the Revolu Revolutionary War or something like that. But but no, yeah. no. Okay. The uh, the military sorties would that be the uh, the the uh, air bombings <laughs> yes. that were uh, in, in, all all the rage in the in, in the uh, Revolutionary <laughs> War. Henry Knox is bringing <laughs> up the uh, B fifty twos, and then you uh, then you were raised out here though. Am I correct? Okay. So I uh, I'm a man with no home because right, right. I lived there long enough to consider myself a Bostonian, but nobody right. there considers me a Bostonian. Oh, oh you're no. Californian now, and now uh, having lived in California, yeah. it's like well you're from Boston. 
Right. So. Right. And I, I associate you with Boston. Number one, every comic in L.A. is from Boston. Correct. 85% of, right. of comics in L.A. No one's smart enough to move. Yeah, yeah. And um, then, of course, your, your passion for the Patriots and Red Sox. Of course. I, could, oh, I can't separate you from that. No. Me being a Yankee fan and all. But um, when did you move out here? When, when did 14. The oh, when you were 14. Yeah. Which is why it's also hard to claim Boston, you know, right. 100%, because it was right in my formative years I got airdropped into California. One of those sorties. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Air Boston. Um, I was uh, uh, doing, like, acting and performing and right. whatever back in Boston in a limited, uh, as a child, you know, mm. so it's limited by the region, and I was limited by age. Yeah. And then uh, I met somebody who... Uh, said they could help me get work out here, and I was just about to enter high school, and so my mom and I did a trial year here, and I started high school here, and everything was going well, so I stayed. So, so that means so that you were like a child actor then. Yes, I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. I'm excited to learn that here yeah. on the Napsack Files exclusives. I, I didn't really realize that the way you're phrasing it, I was like, well, someone said I could make the move to LA and I right. get some work. Um, the first in a long line of empty promises <laughs> that would not be fulfilled <laughs> in California. <laughs> Oh, Hollywood. Oh, yes. Um, what, what, what kind of stuff did you do uh, out there? So I, uh, I, was, I was the kid in school that was the, uh, the bookworm. At the time, mm. I wasn't really in the sports. I didn't play them well. Right. I like you know, acting and performing. So okay. at a very young age, I started. Uh, I went to like an open call with some little agency that managed kids, and I would do print work and local commercials and local theater, okay. um, community theater. I did one really big play in Boston, but as a kid. Yeah. Um, and, and some voiceovers, but all of this like before the age of 14, 7 right. to 14. That's when I peaked. <laughs> and then I, uh, uh, and so that was, um, I'd taken time off from school and, and right. flying out here periodically to meet people and, and, uh, uh, and go on auditions. And then, so then I moved out here and it was very common. I mean, every high school yeah. here is filled with kid actors. Yeah, and back then you had beepers. And so you're either an actor or a drug dealer <laughs> or both. You couldn't tell. Uh, right. And so you're taking time off. And so I moved out here. And had a manager and an agent, and was going oh, on wow. auditions and did some little TV, yeah, some, uh, uh, yeah, and basically that was it, like some some little under five lines on uh, TV shows, and hmm. um, and some music videos, and that pres- that continued in the college, and then I it became an annoyance as I was trying, uh, uh, regrettably, to focus on my academics, right, and that's when I parted <laughs> ways with with just being an on call actor all the time with success. You parted ways with success, yes. and you went to USC, correct? Like uh, as did Megan Finley, yes. Um, and yeah. uh, if, unless you come out of USC with like a business degree, yeah, or a law degree, or uh, like a real degree, the good stuff, yeah. yeah they, they're not having a lot of career days for the theater school <laughs> or the writing uh, programs or, you know, anything liberal arts. You got your, what is it called, MPW? Yeah, I got a master's in uh, professional writing is what it was called at the time. Oh, gosh. What's the difference? Um, that sounds important. Yeah, it was, uh, it, uh, doesn't it, though? It does. It really Writers sounds. good at that. Yeah. Um, it, was a, uh, it was initially uh, part of the cinema school and then right. broke off into its own discipline and uh, they loaded it with different types of professional, allegedly money-making writing disciplines, like mm. um, screenwriting, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then you had um, uh, long-form fiction writing, novels, right. short fiction writing, comic short books. stories. Yeah, comic <laughs> books. Technical writing was in there because there's a oh, lot yeah. of money in the world of technical Absolutely. writing. Absolutely. Uh, there was poetry, uh, any number of things, and you could take a smorgasbord approach to it, and focus on one particular writing discipline, in my case, screenwriting. Okay. 
and it, it, this was a it was a master's program. I got my undergrad with sociology because wow. uh, at that point I was just hanging out and wow. just needed a GE right. degree to you know get, uh, get a get a to graduate. Um, wow. So this was a. Uh, uh, it was um, there were some distinguished people that were teaching and working for that program, right. and and a couple. You know, most people that have graduated the program have not become um, household names. Right. I think one of the probably the most uh, known graduates was uh, Sandra Singlow, hmm. who used uh, to be a commentator in NPR. She's okay. done some books. Okay. Um, I, I I'm for dumb. I don't know the big <laughs> names. I only know her because they mentioned her every five seconds in the program. Um, but and now retroactively, they beefed up the program a little bit because one of the reasons it was MPW yeah. is because it didn't uh, it, it didn't qualify enough to be an MFA. Well, but now retroactively, it's an MFA. And if they had only had this stuff going when George Lucas was there, we might have had better prequels. Exactly, that's my thought. Exactly, if he had taken one writing class. <laughs> True. You know, and and I, you think you know, if I ever make it big, I think I'll go I'll go back and endow the MPW program mm -hmm. to include a segment on comedy writing. Oh, they need like a stand-up monologue joke, TV writing discipline. Well, let's start one now. Can we do one yeah. like by mail or something? Can we start something over at your uh, house over there in, in Tarzana now? I think now? we can. Uh, and by the way, welcome to the Valley. Thank you. As far as long as I've known you, you've been like a West Sider, mm -hmm. one of those pretentious West Side, West Side snobs right. stuck over there right. west of the 405. Exactly. Venice and Santa Monica, <laughs> we're very proud. We never go east of the 405. Yeah. And now in the Valley, I live in the West Valley, yeah. so I still don't go east of the 405 <laughs> except for this morning. Except for this morning. I appreciate you making the trek over here. You know, a little footnote, my, uh, yeah. my sojourn, my sortie yes. to the Valley began in, or to L.A. began in the Valley. I went to high school here in the Valley, okay. lived in the Valley. When my mother and I were flying out here in those teen years, yeah. I was staying just down the street at the Beverly Garland. Yeah. That, at the time, it was yeah. the Beverly Gar Garland uh, Howard Johnson, and now nice. it's the Beverly Garland Holiday Inn. Holiday Inn. Uh, but they still have, if you notice, all the Howard Johnson orange uh, accents. Yes, yes. Well, it, it's literally, uh, I mean, that's you could, we could throw a football right now and right. hit it there. Uh, um, for the stalkers out there, the Napsack Files, you now know where the studio is. Well, you, generally. Generally. Generally, just keep yelling up down the street. We're in an undisclosed location. But I'm, I, I guess my point is I'm glad to have I'm glad to have you back here in the Valley. The I'm valley glad to be here with you guys. The Valley needed to claim some yeah. intelligent person like yourself to help uh, spin the uh, reputation Everybody, in the other direction. A lot of our friends, a lot of our friends that we enjoy and, and yeah. respect are all gravitating towards the Valley. Now. They are. I think w once Mr. Kaler set up his uh, abode on this side, it That's really right. changed things. Exactly. Jamie Kaler, one of and our uh, friends. It's, it's almost like, you know, I don't know, you didn't live in the West Side, but no. it's almost like at a certain point you graduate the West Side. <laughs> I feel it was like, I used to, if you live in the West Side, you know, there's a little enclave called Main Street. Yes. Where I spent a, uh, I logged a lot of time there. It's great. And, area. Uh, yeah. I refer to it as Main Street High. Perfect. That sounds like some kind of web series. It could be. I did a lot of stand-up comedy over there yes. with you as well, West, the, the, all the stuff on the West Side. And, it, and, it's, and it's great. It's fun to visit. But, man, it's hard to get out of. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you guys did it all the time. But, again, that's why there's a seclusion in this. This city of L.A., uh, you could have a friend move to one part of it, and you say goodbye to that friend. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, all right. All right. We'll see you. Have fun down there in Hollywood. How I'm over here in Porter Ranch. <laughs> how often on a weekly basis uh, did I used to see you? Uh, when I was living West Side, it would be a comedy show. It would only be a comedy show. And then I, I moved to the Valley yeah. uh, with my wife, and almost overnight, you and Lou become yeah. central players. That's right. Lou Santini and I, uh, we, we hold down court here at the Knapsack File Studios, and, and, and we're, we're now power players in the Valley scene, I think. So much so <laughs> that you got, we had a very short list. Yeah. You 
when we were paring down the uh, invite list to our wedding, yeah. uh, you guys were on the list. That's so great. And as recently as like a year or two prior, that would not have been the case. Absolutely not. I, I would have understood. You just were like, hey, we need, and I, I, I couldn't attend that ceremony, right? That was the one, uh, the, the, you talking about that one or the, the engagement? Uh well, the, no, the wedding itself. The wedding itself, right, which I apologize. I had to, I had to work. Um, well, it was like six days before Christmas. I know. Um, yeah, poor timing the, there, sir. Yeah. But the, Arbor Day. That's your target. <laughs> Flag Day. Uh, but the important thing is that you guys were invited because it's like it's like a series when you've got a bit player and then the next season, they're so popular, right. they get bumped into the into the opening credits, <laughs> their roles get expanded, we, you know, we're going in a different direction, somebody's left the script. Right. It's like rebooting the series. I feel like I'm Peter Dinklage in the second season of your <laughs> Game of Thrones of Life. <laughs> I got moved up. I feel so happy. And it's reciprocal. You know, yeah. you guys have your own show. It's like it's like crossover episodes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the sitcom of life with Mike Beatrice <laughs> here. How, how long did you perform stand-up comedy? Uh, some would say I never performed it. Oh, um, there would be some. I, you know, they say that I, about me too. I, I'd have to go back and really check the calendar, but I think I I probably had for real like a five-year run. Right. Uh, starting with absolutely no ability whatsoever. Right. Literally, I was bartending back on Main Street, yeah. leaving my bartending shift with the dish rag tucked into my belt, <laughs> running down to O'Brien's, getting yes. up on the stage with the towel, yeah. doing my set and running back to my bartending shift. That's awesome. And then, uh, uh, and then meeting up with you guys uh, yeah. and all our friends who do comedy where we'd all throw each other up on stage. Um, you know, there was... Plugging into the rebel. Were you were you back in the rebels of comedy days? No, I okay. came on the tail end of that, I think, but was never part of it. Right. I okay. did one of those shows. I'm trying to remember the first time I reckon uh, rec- uh, remember mm-hmm. going. Oh, there's that guy Mike, and right. I think it was if I, yeah, it was during the White Boy comedy days, Correct. Room Five and everything. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Which was great. I mean, that was that was like a. Uh, you can only organize genius for so long. Right. And I think that there was a run there where we had it was just a pinnacle. Yeah, you know, for for that group of guys in that environment, there was like a one or two year run. It seemed like it's it it really hit its stride for me in two thousand six uh-huh. was the year. Uh, Mark Franco's White Boy Comedy Productions set up shop at Room Five on La Brea. Uh, we'd also invade other places like mm-hmm. the Hollywood Improv, um, which I, I miss performing there. Um, but yeah, we'd set up every Thursday night at Room Five, and that was the kind of the spot. Yeah, and that and I I still you know I I don't miss stand up. Uh, every occasionally I do. I don't miss stand up overall, but I miss those days where you just yeah. knew you could show up and there'd be Jamie Kaler, Mike mm-hmm. Beatrice, Pat Nay, Lou Santini, Christian Harloff, Tom Conley, Chip Dornell, Mark Franco, the whole gang, Jody right. Miller, um, and the list goes on and on and on. And I miss those times. Yeah, me too. Um, and and it, you know you're on stage for five to seven minutes, but yeah. you're there for hours just hanging yeah. out. It's like. We're having a good time. We're having drinks. We're you know joking around, making each other laugh. And oh, I'll be yeah. right back. I got to do my set. Right, and it, we'd have a great crowd generally. I mean, there'd be those slow nights, but too. But it didn't matter if there's those nights where there's twelve people in the crowd. Kind of became the fun, almost more fun because right. we just let it loose. Um, except for when I hosted, I felt that was work. Yes, <laughs> you right. guys, you guys got to enjoy things, <laughs> and I got to sit there and find out. All right, what do you want your intro to be? You have no credits. Why are you making it up? Stop making it up. Uh, you've seen this guy everywhere, all over the town, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all over town. Um, and it was like I forget who said it back then. It might even have been Mark. It was mm-hmm. like those old. Um, it was like uh, the old, uh, you know, Mark, Dean Martin roasts, where yeah. you could be in the audience, and and you could see like hear good jokes in somebody's set, but you knew. The comics were all having fun together, and you yeah. knew you were part of, like you, you. It was, uh, I mean, 
it was a dubious inner circle to be a part of. But you're <laughs> like, oh man, uh, these guys are having a great time. This is like, yeah. a, you know, this is like being in, in like a social gathering. Absolutely. That was kind of the vibe. I mean, right. it got to the point where we could do each other's acts. I mean, I went up oh, on yeah. stage as being Mike Beatrice. Yes. Uh, with I, the turtleneck. With the turtleneck <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a couple, a glass of wine, a cup of wine, you know, a jug of wine. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, then I got to be Christian Harloff one night uh-huh. and just take the stage. Uh, we're going to have him on later on to talk about that, too. Um, and we would do roasts and we would, yeah. you know, do callbacks and mess around. And, and it that, was just that, great fun. That lasted till about mid 2007, like every great thing. So right. the time has passed on. And we had a, the old, uh, the old wedding bells started breaking up some of the people and, right. and, um, career moves. I, I left comedy, um, pretty much on stage one night, I think, <laughs> or right before a show. <laughs> <laughs> Jody Miller came up and asked me, "Can you host my show next week?" I said, "I'm like I'm leaving comedy." <laughs> right then, I made that decision. It's like I'm out of here. You know, um, I, you know, I, I, I've gone up a couple times. You yeah. know, like, uh, but really, just to, out of curiosity, like, yeah. uh, I want to see what it's like to be on stage and dig out some old jokes or try some new ones. But I know for me, and I don't know if it was the same with everybody else, because a lot of us just kind of moved on and started doing other things. Right. Right. Um, comedy is just if you really want it you have i mean we were we were doing it pretty regularly back then yeah but there's a higher gear where it's it's um it's all you do like you're running around five shows a night where am i going the next night you are hustling it's everything and you have to do it for years to even have a chance of success and we know people yeah and god bless them and and if if it's their choice and they're doing it and it's making them happy that's great but right. there are people that are still doing that still right. like not even road comics back rooms of bars second or third tier clubs and I just decided that wasn't I couldn't do it I, I'm right there with you because what I what it came down to me is like do a, you have to choose a lane at some point mm-hmm. and. Um, for me, I might still be choosing the lane. I, I, I thought maybe writing with screenwriting was going to be my lane, and I'm still weaving in and out of that lane. But right. um, you have to kind of put all your energy. And I thought, let me look at some of my friends who are, who are the most successful at this. They're not home for 300 days a year. You know, they're on the road. Do I want to do that? No, I don't want to do that. Do I want to go five nights a week, um, six, seven nights a week at times, and, and play, you know, just because just because there's a corner of a room with a microphone, to me, I don't think comedy needs to go there. Um, but you have right. to hit those things. And I got, you know, Mark Ellis, I, who I work with at Schmoes No, and, and, and you're one of our writers on SchmoesNo.com, of course. Um, Mark Ellis sometimes, hey, I got to go hit the comedy store. Mm-hmm. It's 1 a.m. Yeah, I got a, sl- I got a slot. Right. Um, that wasn't for me. It's for those people. Uh, and so I left for similar reasons, it seems. You just kind of look at it and go, eh, mm-hmm. fun. I miss friendships, but, um, and you and I are uh, what I thought was a similar ilk of comic, uh, which is the, uh, uh, kind of comedian's favorite, uh, smart comedians, right. which means the audience will never understand you. Uh-huh. <laughs> did you struggle? Did you feel that struggle? Yeah. And you know, uh, when I, when I first got up on stage, I was trying to maybe ape the, uh, the, the, the Dennis Miller SNL sure, weekend update idea or the nightly monologue jokes where yeah. it's headline jokes. And they're they're they got a shelf life of like twenty four hours, and so the next night it's a whole new act, a whole new act. Right. And everybody and their grandmother was telling me you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you have to you have to work on an act over time and have right. jokes. So I would take some of those jokes and rework them to be more, uh, to give them longer shelf lives. Um, but it was it was one of those things where comics would come up afterwards and be like, oh my god, that joke is great. You mm. should be writing for so and so. And uh, but 
the the jokes weren't necessarily working with the crowd. Sometimes right. you get lucky. You get lucky. You know, you tap into a consciousness or something or a topic of the day. Yeah. But most times, it's just it's not working. Well, your World War II uh, uh, greatest generation joke of can they do it again? Right. And can they be the Dallas Cowboys? I mean, that, that that's great. Some of my f- favorite material from that era is your smart stuff. Um, and I had some smart stuff, too, I thought, or people would tell me. Sure. And that is a curse sometimes. Because God bless those audiences. They just they don't appreciate smart stuff at times. You, Sorry, audiences. My, my signature joke for you, uh, I don't know if it's yours, but mm. is when uh, you talk about the, uh, uh, the female lady bits. Yes. And uh, Lando's co-pilot in that Return is mine. of the Jedi. That is mine. Written that in 2003. Is such, right. So it's already it's a 20-year-old reference <laughs> when you first <laughs> wrote it. Yeah. Um, you, if you don't know that, that world well enough to immediately flash that image in your mind, yeah. that joke doesn't work. Right. But sitting in the, it was in the back of room five, yeah. and you told that joke, and it, there was like a millisecond where I conjured the image <laughs> and doubled over laughing. I would. The, the basic joke is I can never have a successful relationship with a woman because I have a fear of vaginas. I, I uh, 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 vaginas look like Lando Carisian's co-pilot from Return of the Jedi to me, uh, character of Neenum. That's the basic of the joke. So I haven't. A lot of people listening probably haven't seen that, and there's no real good <laughs> record of that on YouTube. I would say that joke, and I would. It was a bigger setup, and it changed over the years, of course. And I, I right away I would know if it, if it hit because you either get a roaring laughter from all these mid thirties guys who have the immediate image right. you have of Neenum going ah William Poppins going into the Death Star, or I'd get just silence, and then maybe occasionally I hear a ooh, I just and you could never tell. And I just that's where I started to struggle with stand up, where the jokes the same. But every I couldn't tell, and and I just I I got frustrated with it. I didn't want to keep working mm-hmm. at that side of it. There, you know, you, we talked about being similar comics who like to write, you know, smart yeah. stuff that we enjoy and hope somebody gets it. And I think I think there, uh, you know, it's from my opinion, from you know my my brief tenure in comedy. I think there yeah. are two types of comics: ones that are comics from a that are performers. Yeah. And you know they they write they certainly write jokes. Uh, but where they really excel is in performing those jokes. And those are the Absolutely. same comics that come out of sketch comedy, yeah. that go on to do sketch comedy, and, and they just perform everything. And then there are the comics, and there are less of them. Mm-hmm. And I felt like one of them, and, and maybe you are, where it was the writing. Yeah, It was, man, I crafted that joke. I love that joke. I'm going to go tell that. I'm not going to perform that joke. I'm going to tell that joke. Yes. And that, that's a harder sell. So when I yeah. made that choice to not be the 24-7, 1 a.m. comedy store comic, yeah. I said, I still, well, I'm a writer. Yeah. And, and part of that is uh, manifested in doing the, the news scoop for the schmoes where Absolutely. I get to write my jokes, but I don't have the pressure of having to get on stage. I can just write them, submit them. They're on the uh, Internet. They can be yeah. linked to and read. And, yeah, and your Beatrice news scoops hit every time, folks. Make sure you, you check into schmoesno.com and the new revamped schmoesno.com and get Mike Beatrice's uh, news scoop. Um, how often um, How often are you doing that now? You try You try for about every other week now, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's been years. Like when they almost you, when they first started You were the, the first, I believe, the first or second schmoesno writer. First contributor? Yeah, I believe you were. Uh, and then... Uh, you know, I even think I, I thought to myself uh, when I was first doing it, well, I'll just do this for a couple of weeks and then it'll go right. away. And But it's that compulsion. You it know, is. where else are the jokes going to go? Right. And it was received well. Uh, you enjoyed them. Christian and Mark were great about it. So, yes. yeah, it was every week for a while. But lately, uh, I don't know, past six months, it's been shaken out to like every other week. Life's tough, too. Uh, yeah. But with the expansion of the website, we hope to... Um 
really kind of uh, be able to provide for our riders more and uh, give you uh, the uh, the means to to do it uh, regularly. I'm, you I'm know, there saying are that's vague uh, <laughs> vague talk for money. There <laughs> are uh, late night comics who do who are cursed with having to do jokes virtually every night. Yeah, and then there are shows where it's once a week. Uh, and there, there, I don't know if there still is, but I remember back Entertainment Weekly used to do like a, like a, like a page of monologue jokes at the yeah. beginning. I yeah, forget I what it was called. Ch- I know Chuck. And they, about, yeah. they, ch- they had one signature writer, then they changed it up, and so that was like another once a week. Right. And, you know, if if my job was to come up with jokes once a, you know, once if you're doing once a week, right. every joke better be money. It's tough. Every night you can throw some away. Yeah. As Leno's thrown ten years of them away, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it is tough. Even uh, you know, do the um, the headlines on the Shemozno podcast, which I always feel like I've stolen from you, um, and and you should just take my throne one of these days <laughs> and come in um, and take it from me. Uh, yeah, it's tough because if there's if it's slow news week, you're right. kind of like there's nothing here. Right. Sometimes I just want to go. I'm kind of These are Shemozno headlines. There's nothing tonight. And that's why I. Uh I've uh, quietly started padding the uh, Beatrice News Scoop with uh, sports, which is still right. entertainment. Sure. Uh, but sometimes I'll segue into politics and Absolutely. other. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I'll, I'll try to make the punchlines entertainment related. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I want to see Schmoes know the brand ex- extend. Mm-hmm. I want to see Schmoes know sports, Schmoes know wrestling, Schmoes know. Schmoes know international Shmo- relations. Schmoes <laughs> know policy, <laughs> foreign policy. Oh, man. Um, uh, How many Schmoes will we give Obamacare this week? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I think that would hit big. <laughs> oh, man. The Schmo's No Political Con po- uh, Podcast. Um, Which would be great because they, uh, you know, like CNN and all those cable news networks, yeah. they will sometimes tap into comics. And I don't know how they find them, who on the yeah. staff knows to get them. Uh, sometimes they come through like Huffington, whatever. Right. But like, hey, we have a comic who was talking about this very bit, you know, this very topic. And or they'll ask comics, how do you joke about this? Wouldn't it be great to have like uh, Harloff and Ellis on CNN talking <laughs> about, uh, I don't know, like uh, uh, the North Korean nuclear threat? I'd love, I'd love that. <laughs> if there's any segment producers out there, please uh, email me at schmoznopodcast.gmail.com <laughs> and I'll hook you. I want to see that happen. Um, uh, talk, let's talk about screenwriting. Yes. You transitioned into that. Um, how's that going? <laughs> really, really well. <laughs> Every other writer in, um, in a Starbucks. It's so well, you know. Uh, what drew What drew you to that? Um, it was my. Uh, uh, it seems even silly now to, to what I my thought process back then. But I rem- when I divested from acting, I remember mm. thinking instead of just performing in other people's nonsense, yeah, I want to create my own nonsense. Right. Uh, which again has gone really, really well. Um, There's still time. Still time. I, I love. Uh, uh, you know, we both have screenplays. We work on the yeah. the problem with screenplays. Is you know you talked about where where can I most efficiently, uh, you know, uh, direct my time and my yes. energies. You write a screenplay, even like an off the cuff one. You're taking up, you know, what a month minimum. And if you're really yeah. doing it well, six months. Right. So whereas you know a, a, a like a sketch or mm-hmm. a batch of jokes. Yeah. Or, or that and that actually was the nice thing about stand up comedy. Um, where you could just write a set, get up and perform it that night, and you know immediately it's and a quick turnaround. Immediate return on your on your efforts. Yeah, so absolutely. I, uh, you know, like you and like every cheesecake factory waiter in town, I've got a <laughs> desk drawer full of screenplay ideas. Yeah, and I, uh, I don't, I don't, um, I don't wade into them that often because is there what happens when I'm done with it? Is there somebody who knows somebody that's even right. a glimmer of hope? Because I'll a glimmer of hope, I'll I'll write. 
Yeah. But if it's like there's no way, no way this is going anywhere, uh, why am I doing it? Right. Um, it's a it's a little bit of a futile uh, right. effort. Cost versus reward. Especially nowadays right. with the with the economy hitting Hollywood too. Really, I was talking about this on the, on the previous uh, podcast with Joey Rockenstein. I mean. In, in the 90s, you know, people were getting six figures for specs that right. weren't even written, just log lines, basically. Yeah. And they can't do that anymore. So as right. writers, it's 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 tough. It's tough to know what you're mm-hmm. working for. And, yeah, you have to you have to put a, a lot of effort into just getting a manager. You know, right. write six, six screenplays, just get rejected by that manager, and then you have to rewrite another one and write five more, and then maybe he'll take a look at you. It's, right. it's a hard road to mm-hmm. all those people out in Omaha <laughs> looking to move to Hollywood. First thing, move to Hollywood. No, Second, but the, the cab driver in Omaha is the one that gets the deal. Right. And then, and then there'll be a story in Variety. Well, when most cab drivers his age were... <laughs> I love that one. An overnight success right. took 30 years. Did you ever notice when, uh, when they profile somebody that just broke through? Yeah. Uh, they, there's like, you know, it's... Uh, there's one glaring detail that they've omitted mm-hmm. and it's kind of like the yada 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 from Seinfeld. Yes. It's like, man, I was struggling and then um and uh, I was waiting tables and I was about to move home and then my and then I got my first agent and uh, and they and I got my audition on SNL. Yeah. And I'm like, I, well, well, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How'd you get that first agent? Yeah. And and how'd you and then, you know, it's it's the, the details of making turning that corner somehow always get left always out of the vague, profiles. Always vague. And I love the people like uh, you know, their first big lead on a network sitcom and, and you're like, Oh, this is kinda of overnight success. You forget like the ten years of, of guest spots and walk ons they've had. Right. Which is that's hard enough to get. Um, it, Mark Marin has a great bit. I would never want to uh, try to paraphrase one of his great stories, but uh, the thing they don't tell you about overnight success is it literally comes down, you know, it's 10 years, but it comes down to the final night. Right. <laughs> You're either going home and then the next morning it hits or something like that. And I think if I ever have, a, you know, have the kind of success that warrants a profile mm-hmm. uh, or attention. Or, or a Wikipedia people, page. Right. Um, people will assume I'm an overnight success because there's no right. evidence I ever did anything <laughs> for 20 years. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, for me, other than this podcast and a crappy YouTube channel, there's <laughs> nothing out there. <laughs> nothing I, out there. You know, b- back to the screenplay writing for a yeah. minute. Like, uh, there was something I really wanted to write. Yeah. And it was a, uh, here we go. It's a period piece mm. set on the ocean. Which okay. Which has two X's against it. Right. And it was, uh, it's, I mean. Wes Anderson attached to direct. Right. <laughs> it's not something you can shoot for 10 grand on a flip, <laughs> right. on a flip right. can. Right. This is like a real big, unshootable, crazy movie that should be a miniseries. Um, a and so it, it was a sweeping epic. It, it took me a year to write, but it was in my head for like 10 years. It's based on a real guy. And I wrote it and that's it. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was doing some production accounting to fill in the gaps. Yeah, and I was on a movie where one of the producers had worked on Master and Commander, so the guy that I Our worked side for, of the world. right, exactly, uh, the guy who I worked for was nice enough to mention my script to him. Right, right? I'm like great, that's how it happens. Yeah. and this guy said, "Oh, good luck with that. Our movie, Master and Commander, we killed sea epics forever." Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. as successful as that movie was, it was so expensive. <laughs> yeah, and such a cluster storm to shoot. Yeah. That, you know, uh, that's why you haven't seen one in a it while. It kills it, yeah. That's why there was no Master and Commander 2. <laughs> Master and Commander a little bit closer right. to but, the rest of the world. But now, so, uh, you know, we, we both have screenplays that we have yeah. done and are working on, and I have one that I've told you about that I'm working on, and mm. it's a very simple, run-of-the-mill, yeah. you know, genre movie um, uh, with a twist. Yeah. Um, but the reason I'm writing it is because uh, it's easier to write. Yeah. Um, but even then, I wasn't, I hadn't started it. But then uh, 
it just seems in, in with the the way the world is in the movies right now, it, mm-hmm. it seems right in, up everybody's alley. And I know some people who know some people that give that glimmer of hope. Right. Because I'm not waiting for the lottery ticket. Right. To, you know, to fall on my lap, although that would be nice. I tried with the Powerball, but no. Yeah, did you, you didn't win yesterday? No, Me no. no. Um, but just like, so I'm not, I'm not waiting for, you know, the invitation to come have dinner with Spielberg. Right. But just, just the chance. And that's where I'll expend my energy. And that's why I'm writing the one uh, now. Right. Is that the same? I, I don't want to go into it sure. and have some rapscallion steal it, but it's a, it's the same one that uh, takes, uh, you know, that we're talking about The Rock, right? Correct. Okay, cool. That is that is a great marketable idea, right. and that's what you've got to go to. And all to all the young writers out there, first of all, give up. Second, <laughs> um, yeah, you have to. I love, I, I have a, a young uh, a cousin who's 21. He's in film school, and he's a genius. He's a genius writer. i got to attach myself to his coattails. The problem is I keep telling him, you've got to be commercial up top. Mm-hmm. You're trying to uh, be an art house, uh, you know, and go do that. You can; it, it's possible, but the success he wants is not going to come from that. He's got to. I'm like, you've got to think three acts and a tagline, man, because right. that's what's going to get you through. Get your capital. And I had, I had an employee uh, I used to uh, manage when I was over at the farmers market, um, and I didn't know he was a writer. And one day he goes, hey, "I got to put up my two weeks' notice." Like, what? He goes, "I sold a screenplay." Like, uh, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm a writer too. I failed. Um, and I talked to him about it and his, he, he, he wants to do a bunch of art films and his own films and his own visions. He wrote a stupid action movie mm-hmm. and I don't even think it, it got made, but he got a good six figures sum and, and right. he out of there because he's like, that's what they want right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, it's a business folks, all you young dreamers out in college trying to get your MPWs at all these different schools. Right. It, it's a business and remember that and like you said it wasn't always the case and i, I know a guy and and there were always these guys yeah i know a guy i know a guy he was by by all accounts a successful screenwriter mm-hmm. wrote like 10 never has to work again yeah millionaire not a single one got produced right because you know like you know now it, the it really is taken over by the uh by the actuaries now and, and yeah. you know people counting pennies um but so they're not doling out the deals the way they used to. Yeah. But there are any number of people working at these studios and agencies that need to have um, it's like a jobs bill. They need to have stuff moving across the desk. Right. And there there is a, a segment of screenplays that are just there giving people something to do. Yeah. That's fine. That's it. Just optioned. Yeah. That's 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 how you got to approach it. Um, there's so much more to talk to you about. We, we have to talk about, I want to talk to you about marriage. I want to talk to you about oh. moving into that phase of your life. I want to talk to you about, um, owning chickens mm-hmm. and a lot of other things. And you even came prepared with notes today, which by the way, sir, I really respect. Um, so can I have you back on an episode? Cause we got to wrap Absolutely. this one up. Yeah, yeah. This has been fun talking about stand up comedy, LA and why you should give up on your dreams, kids. Um, this has been the Knapsack Files with Ken Knapsack and my special guest, Mike Beatrice. Mike, where can they find you on the Twit machine? At Michael Beatrice. That is a good, straightforward. I like that. Oh yeah, when they uh, <laughs> when when you got to choose your name on Twitter, I was hovering over the keyboard waiting, <laughs> waiting. Right it was the like beginning. the like the land rush and far and away. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, because then but no Beatrice seven star eight ninety two is what <laughs> other people are getting. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming Thank down you, to this Ken. side of the valley. We'll have you back on. This has been another edition of the Knapsack Files. We'll see you next time. <laughs>